Hello and welcome to episode four of our No Filter podcast at EG. My name is Graham Schoen and joining me on this pod is our London reporter, Alex Daniel. Alex, how are you? Hi Graham, not too bad, thanks. Just back from a week of leave, which is very nice, returning to far more optimistic um, property agents in London. Fantastic, wonderful news. Uh, Most important question, we've got indoor hospitality uh, opening this week. Have you been inside a pub yet? I have. I was inside a pub yesterday, which is uh, Monday evening, um, and it was surprisingly quiet. Oh, uh, that does actually that does surprise me. I thought I thought slash assumed that they would all be absolutely rammed and that I'd missed the boat on booking myself in. But maybe I'll head there soon. That's more impressive than me. I've not been inside a pub yet. I'm kind of waiting for the for the weekend to hit uh, and then I'll I'll go and uh, support my my local pubs, I guess. I bet they'll be busy then. Yeah, almost certainly. I've probably missed the boat there as well. Um, so yeah, we are recording on on Tuesday, uh, ready for a Thursday publication. Uh, we're hoping that in between that time, there's not been more kind of bombshells dropped uh, or more research published uh, around the return to the offices, or some would badge it as the return to work. Uh, it feels like something that uh, goes a little bit quiet uh, for a while, then all of a sudden there's a hell of a lot of uh, chatter around it. And um, that's probably happening now due to the fact that we've got fuller easing of restrictions, of course, as well as vaccinations. Uh, and something that really caught my eye and seems like it's caught a few people's eye uh, was a comment made by WeWork CEO Sandeep Mathrani, um, who, while speaking at a Wall Street Journal event last week, Uh, said the following. He said, uh, those who are uberly engaged with the company want to go to the office two thirds of the time, at least. Uh, Those who are least engaged are very comfortable working from home. Now, he got a bit of flack for that and subsequently clarified slash apologised. I think maybe there's a bit of a uh, an inference that people have made there that people who choose to work remotely are perhaps disengaged from from what their company is doing which of course isn't necessarily what he said but there's also a bit of resonance it reminded me just a little bit of the clumsy nature with which the prime minister addressed this particular subject at the end of march uh, when he said people have had enough days off now, these people obviously don't need me necessarily to stand up for them uh, but i tend to believe these are just kind of slightly inelegant ways of, of of phrasing things or feelings on this kind of subject but uh, simultaneously i think people justifiably resent the kind of implication that working remotely is is some kind of of cop-out i think on on the point of engagement really i think this taps into something that's been prevalent throughout this the year of discussions around this which is about company culture uh, like whether you get ingrained in the company culture whether you can do that remotely is it an important thing some people would say it's really important and you need to be in the office some people might think, uh, yeah, it's important, but you can get it remotely. And other people would say, well, it doesn't matter at all. I mean, personally, I, I, I can reflect that I don't feel I found any dilution of the company culture kind of within how I've worked. Um, but then I've been with EG for a good uh, number of years now. So perhaps uh, in some respects, the culture is like steeped in me. But Alex, you've moved jobs, obviously, during this period. Uh, so I wonder if you felt any differently on that and if you had any strong thoughts uh, initially on what Mr. Mathrani said. Well, I think, I mean, on a, on a personal level, first, Firstly, I, I, as you say, started at EG in January. In that time, I've met a handful of my colleagues once or twice. It, it's pretty weird starting a job remotely. And I mean, I think most of us would agree that it's good to be in the office meeting your colleagues from time to time, at least. I think, yeah, as you say, the reason Sandeep's comments prompted a backlash is because partly feels like it's quite an outdated way of approaching the workplace. 
hybrid working has definitely become the new normal as we kind of emerge from the pandemic. Um, it pretty much everyone seems to agree now that a hybrid structure in some form or another will be in place. It also struck me as very much the sort of thing an office company chief executive would say, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. One of the I, I was reading down Twitter, obviously after this happened, the the most important place on the internet, and <laughs> I saw someone comparing it to a barber saying that everyone should get two haircuts a week. That's sort of exactly it, isn't it? Sandeep Mathurani, the chief executive of WeWork, obviously wants people to be in the office. He then sort of posted this grovelling. LinkedIn apology post saying that his comments had been misunderstood and that he didn't mean to cast a negative light on people who prefer working from home. Um, I'm not entirely sure what light he intended to cast on them. Industry sources have suggested that maybe this is a symptom of the fact that we are all working remotely and that things do get taken out of context or perhaps as your um, the full quote which you read out would suggest he just slipped up. I guess slip of the tongue or misunderstanding, whatever you want to call it, he probably wouldn't be alone in holding this view among his global chief executive peers. No. Um, and I think that's kind of the key point here. A, yes, he wants people in the office, but B, people like him, David Solomon, the Goldman Sachs chief executive, various other very important people on Wall Street and in the city have been quoted in the last few months as saying that remote working is a bad thing. Um, David Solomon notably called it an aberration. Lots of city firms are quite forcibly bringing people back into the office already. I know that some people, including our friends at um, office leasing and investment agencies, are very willing to get back into the office. Understandably, they need to be out and about. But I think maybe among the banks, it's a bit more contentious. It's tricky to say. It's sort of make of it what you will. But it sort of left a bit of a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. I think judging from some of the reaction to that LinkedIn post, that LinkedIn apology. It's, it's interesting. I, you know, there's there's obviously um, reports that, that he's linked there and it, he's mentioned that the future of work is hybrid and it is flexible. There's, there's something he's put in the post. He doesn't want to be misconstrued or misunderstood or anything like that. Um, and, you know, that's fair enough. But I think you make a good point that it's it's because of his position. You, you've got to judge the the source as well when you're looking at things like this in the same way that people with heavy investment in remote working have said like the office is dead for the last 12 months. You've got to kind of take all of these type of quotes with a, with a big pinch of salt uh, and just remember who's saying them uh, and what their kind of end goal is. I think, like I said, I think most most people have kind of settled on a future of work that that does look um, a bit hybrid, that at the moment is basically just kind of tentatively finding its feet really between the the home and the office. I mean, I've I've done a bit of work on on the the notion of third spaces uh, previously, but uh, but the, there's no kind of indication um, just yet that they're going to kind of spring up uh, in in a huge way uh, in the in the immediate future anyway but uh, interestingly we're going to have to look at what all this means for our for our key cities uh, and our city centers um, and nowhere will be more impacted uh, possibly than than the center of london for which uh, we released our q1 data uh, last week um, it's fairly 
uh, I'd say subdued uh, on the overall kind of uh, take up side of things, overall market activity, all the individual submarkets uh, seeing a drop uh, in comparison to to this point last year and the the long term averages. But what really has has kind of struck me uh, is credit rents have stopped falling. That was quite interesting because I, what happened kind of towards uh, the latter kind of half of, of last year was a fairly consistent uh, falling uh, of grade A's. That having stopped uh, is is interesting in itself. Depends on really what we're, I think what we're going to see over the next three quarterly periods will kind of dictate things uh, a little bit longer term. I think requirements uh, have actually just ticked up from the back end of last year. Uh, that's the latest data that I've seen. So I think some strategy, some kind of workplace strategies are kind of being slowly um, formulated across the board uh, and uh, things are possibly going to going to tick back up towards the, the second half of the year. But I think lockdown has been incredibly difficult, really, t- um, for anyone that was kind of hoping for a good quarter in Q1. I think they got kind of announced quite late, I think, in 2020, the fact that we would be in lockdown until basically the end of March. And that makes deals unbelievably difficult to get in train. And for companies looking to kind of figure out how they're going to work in future, I think that makes things ridiculously difficult as well. Because I feel like most companies always want to see how many of their workers want to go back into the office, to what extent they they come back in, you know, of their own volition, whether commanded to or not, and then figure things out going forward so it's um it's a, a kind of interesting uh, period for london offices it feels a little bit in the balance uh, and even though we've had quite a a subdued opening quarter to the year I, I don't think there's there's tons you can read into into one quarter's worth of data and there's other things like a kind of rental movement and particularly development activity which i think will be interesting going forward with hindsight it's easy to look back at the first quarter and see the market being frozen again it was but i think it's important to remember that this wasn't a case of people predicting a really good first quarter and then the market not delivering this was a case of people predicting a really good first quarter and then a surprise lockdown happening again there is still a huge amount of quote-unquote dry powder investment ready to be deployed when conditions improve and i don't think that necessarily that influx of activity has gone away it's just been delayed depending on who you speak to people seem to think that it will come back with a vengeance over the summer into september and particularly towards the end of this year i was speaking to a couple of senior office agents this week Um, who said that they couldn't wait for investors, specifically investors from China, Korea, Singapore, Hong Kong, to get back on the scene, because that really will mark a big turning point for the investment market. Um, And they reckon that that will now be probably Q3, Q4. I think wait and see is definitely a fair characterisation of Q1. Absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting. You kind of mentioned the uh, yeah the London office being kind of stuck or in sort of suspended animation. We're running out of uh, euphemisms, I suppose, to use in headlines. I've used on pause. I've used kind of you know the wait and see angle. If this Indian variant comes in, you're going to have to think of many more ways oh, to say the phrase wait and see because it could. I mean, who knows? We don't want to be locked down again over the summer, do we? But that that uh, would be seriously bad for the office market. No, absolutely not. I mean, it's it, it is interesting that the, the the fact that you mentioned the 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 dry powder, the weight of capital. I mean, it's interesting when you you see data on on that, and uh, there's a lot of 
money obviously targeting London. But when it obviously doesn't come through in transactional terms, people then can make inferences, I suppose, about the market. Like, are things going to have to be repriced in order to get this this money in? That's pro- probably not the case. It's just waiting for uh, the right kind of stock, the right kind of opportunities to come up, and maybe also just to see what actually happens with the with the return to work and the associated impact that that has on the tenant market. Like, what do tenants actually what was their attitude towards office space going forward? You can't really tell anything when there is such a shallow series of quarters. I mean, in terms of overall take up, this is sort of just under 1.3 million square feet uh, that's been transacted. And in terms of kind of against five year averages, it's down by over half. You know, it's it's a it's an incredibly shallow quarter, and it's still the best one since we began locking down you know you could, i could have gone with a, a bit more of a positive um, spin on this uh, on this quarter's trans- transactional um take up from uh, from the eg radius data because technically it is it is the best quarter we've had since since q1 last year and actual actually transactional volumes the number of deals has gone up as well but within all that context we know that there's like a weight of um of lease events coming forward there's a lot of firms that need to decide what to do with their space um, and I think another thing that was encouraging to me is the amount of um, planning activity, at least that that is that is going ahead. There's a lot more. There's a lot of projects coming through in in planning, in new applications. I think there's some resonant positivity within that that they can get the schemes up and running, they can get them through, they can get them constructed in time for some of these requirements to maybe uh, come to fruition, and then they've got the the requisite office space to be able to attract that that bank of occupiers when they have to make their, their kind of location decision and a lot of those developers are clearly seeing London as, as somewhere they want to be um, and want to stay. There's an interesting point here with a couple of sub markets that kind of um, back up what you're saying I think um, it's been fairly well documented that um, legal occupiers some of the big law firms are all on the hunt for space. My understanding of that is purely down to kind of unfortunate timing with lease events um you know a lot of them are coming up to the end of their leases at big um city hqs and they've been needing over the last year to find somewhere new slaughter and may for example who we spoke to about this recently i think there'll be some coverage in eg soon decided to stay at their um current hq but were forced to look for pretty much the whole of 2020 for a new base. And it seems like a really, you know, tough year to be trying to find a pre-let. Yeah. Is really high quality. I mean, Slaughter May really are sort of, you know, the kind of legendary high quality offices. They've got their own dining room with, you know, little um, pigeonholes for all the partners still, that kind of thing. <laughs> and water feature in the office. There has actually been a hell of a lot of activity in this sub-market. The same goes for financial services, for example. The key point here is that these are A, the two sectors, two of the sectors who are looking for space because of lease events and also are kind of able to sign for new space because they sort of know what they'll be looking for when they come out of the pandemic. It's not like a kind of creative agency where they don't quite know how things are going to work. People's functions are fairly well set in stone. If you think about lawyers, for example, junior lawyers probably work from home, partners probably need to be in the office meeting people, that kind of thing. And there have been various people who've described it as a bit of a bun fight, actually, among occupiers and prospective occupiers for high quality grade A office space. There isn't that much in the market. And it sort of indicates that certainly among that top end of the leasing market, things will be healthy. If you need space, 
then there is a lot of competition for the space that's going. That's probably why prices have not, why rents have not fallen for grade A office space over yeah. the first quarter. That's why probably things are um, holding up a little bit more strongly than people might have thought. I mean, occupiers certainly hold a lot of cards now compared to pre-pandemic. I think a lot of flexibility has been built into leases for big deals that are being signed. But generally speaking, if you've got a really good sort of 50,000 to 100,000 square foot of really high quality office space, whether it be a pre-let or whether it be just completed, if it's fit for a post-pandemic world, i.e. pretty flexible in use, then it's going to go. Absolutely. I think what's really interesting, I mentioned it in the in the piece as well, like the transient nature of the market. There's a lot of talk about repurposing the old stuff. I mean, obviously, the city corporation's uh, proposal over the next decade uh, to convert a lot of redundant office space into homes. That was kind of the headline, obviously, uh, that everyone was talking about. But with I think within the same uh, proposal uh, for the next decade, they, they also want to build a lot more office space that their plan is to also have a significant volume uh, of new office space in there. I think that's going to be the case probably across the country where you're going to need to look at what's tending towards obsolescence in your office stock, but also recognise that there's a need out there for from you know, the, the breadth of the occupier market for some for some good space, for some real high grade um, stock, which you know, just goes into what they need in uh, or what occupiers need uh, in modern uh, business uh, floor space. Um, speaking, we'll just we'll finish with... Um, a little uh, mention about uh, London's occupiers. There's uh, some research that you've published um, this week, uh, actually. I, well, you've written about it. It was published by developer Core. Do I, do I call them Core or Co Re? I think you I'm might know better sure. than me. It's Core spelled with a hyphen, so either Co Re or Core, depending on who you speak to about it. Excellent. They can um, they can write in uh, and tell us exactly uh, how they prefer us to pronounce it. But I mean, this will already be published by then. Um, so there's a survey of more than 100 uh, tenants found that 52 percent expect to uh, retain their office space in the next three years. 63 uh, percent expect their workforce to grow is how it's is how it's phrased. Um, so I guess there's there's some kind of optimism there if they've if they've gone with the survey. I mean, in these kind of times over the last year the, the surveys have been the best way i suppose of navigating our way forward and trying to figure out exactly what what we can expect um from markets and from occupiers we can use kind of market data as we have done through eg radius um but obviously when it when it just tells us things are quiet it's okay that's fine we understand that but we need to actually speak to the occupiers and see what exactly they're saying uh, and again there's a lot of positivity about London's place, place uh, specifically as a leading global business hub. Um, 71% say positive, uh, 19% anticipating no change, and 7% saying uh, being negative, which surprises me, I suppose, because if you're if you're a London office occupier, I mean, I'm guessing those 7% of occupiers are planning to move. If they, if they there's do. always one. There's <laughs> always one. <laughs> exactly. Disgruntled, yeah. disgruntled customers. Yeah, it's incredible that. Um, it, it, well, either they're going to move or they don't need London to be a leading global business hub. They just they're happy to kind of carry out their operations there. And again, I mentioned at the start the um, the notion of third spaces. Again, it's it, it, there's some speculation. It, it reads here that occupiers occupiers have moved on mass to the hub and spoke office model, and just seven percent of the occupiers said that they'll try that system uh, in the coming years. 
doesn't say whether it's the same 7% as uh, don't think London's going to be a, a leading global uh, business hub. Um, but that's that's quite interesting. I suppose that speaks to, again, the fact that I mentioned earlier on that it'll largely for the next little bit of time be just between home and the office and seeing how that dynamic plays out within the workforce before they go, I guess, looking at suburban offices or or different types of space between home and work, if you like. I don't think it necessarily spells the death of the hub and spoke um, concept, does it? But I think it definitely indicates that certainly right now, it would be quite a brave company to this May, this June, um, suddenly go, we are planning for a hub and spoke future, which we haven't uh, tried in the past. Um, You know, maybe we have a lease event coming up in two years or something. We're going to try and work out how to make hub and spoke work when we haven't tried it before. Um, No one knows what's happening at the moment. Of course, people are just going to certainly for the kind of short to medium term, stick with what they know as much as they can, see how it works. And then maybe over the course of the next five or 10 years, um, that's when hub and spoke, if it's going to happen, actually comes in. Interestingly, Mark Dixon, who's in charge of IWG, um, formerly Regis, he is a big proponent of hub and spoke in a yep. kind of flex context. He thinks that people are going to have, you know, people people don't want to be commuting to work. People all over the UK are just going to be um, sort of dotted around going into small IWG offices, working sort of remotely, but going into an office setting. He hasn't often been wrong in the past. He hasn't been fantastic at doing his own PR on other issues, certainly through the pandemic. But I think coming from someone like him, again, perhaps it's got the Sandeep Mathurani, um we work bug of, of course, he would say that. <laughs> I think there is a feeling that if IWG are committing to it, then there must be some sort of future for Hub and Spoke. I think elsewhere, occupiers, again, it would be a really quite a brave occupier to make a really big statement about their office space right now. Um, Obviously, there have been some people um, coming out and saying that they are going to cut their UK um, footprint quite significantly. I'm thinking of people like HSBC, for example. Um, I think that was partly tied into a move towards Asia as well, strategically. Um, But generally speaking, I hate to say it, but wait and see still is kind of order of the day. It's interesting, actually, the 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 notion of distributed work with you know the the the, the third space almost. How that ties into what Sandeep Mathrani was saying about people engaged with the. I mean, you know, obviously, subsequently um, clarified um, and apologised, but if you're if you are engaged with your company then maybe that that does kind of put a little bit of a a, a pin in the third space notion because it, it's the the idea that you'd um, rather than commuting into the central space where everybody is and you're connected with your colleagues and whatever the ethos of the company and logos whatever else however the culture manifests itself obviously you're not going to do that at just a a flexible uh, place close to close to your home where you're able to work you just sort of go in do your job sort of still remotely but just not in your house um so it's interesting like to to see kind of in future how that actually plays out and whether you know the cultures of company are do kind of compel people almost to go back in yeah 
And I, I guess just looking back at this survey as well, um, in kind of in that context, 52% said they expected to retain their office space in the next three years, i.e. their footprint wouldn't change. 63% expect their workforce to grow. Presumably there is some overlap there. For those mm. overlapping companies, they are actually, as we emerge from lockdown, getting more people into the company and keeping the same amount of office space, which yeah. implies flexible working, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much overlap there is. It's not clear. But this idea that more people will fit into less space because not everyone is in all the time, that seems like a good indicator of where we're going. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Um, we'll see whether uh, there's uh, there's probably another podcast to be done on the notion of spatial arrangements between staff and whether we're all just going to want to, if we're doing a three two split, whether we're all going to want uh, Monday uh, and Friday off. Um, <laughs> the offices are just going to be completely empty on those days, full on the others, and it's not going to work and companies just need the same amount of space as they as they did previously but that again uh, remains to be seen that's another experiment for us to do uh, maybe looking at commuter patterns uh, as we emerge from lockdown and hopefully we can emerge from lockdown uh, and get a bit more clarity uh, on the london market as well in future and i'll wrap up now by saying uh, thank you uh, to alex for joining me thanks for having me Graham. no worries at all uh, i'm going to say thank you to the listeners uh, for tuning in as well join us again next time bye-bye for now <laughs>